are jumping into a new series, and I'm going to be fairly quick uh, this morning. Uh, I knew that would have a shorter period of time, but we're going to jump in to uh, Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. So you can open your Bibles there or in your bulletin. Uh, there's also uh, the scripture there, and we actually will have the scripture up on the screen as well. But the new series we're starting is Jesus Loves You More. Jesus Loves You More. And we're going to be looking at uh, the passion of Jesus as we approach Easter. Now you guys know what I mean when I say the passion of Jesus? The word passion actually has two meanings. I don't know if you know this. The old word, the old meaning of passion was the suffering of Jesus. Passion was an old word that meant suffering. So when you hear of the passion of the Christ, it's talking about the suffering of Christ. Now we use the word to mean the driving priority of somebody's life, right? Their passion. What are you passionate about? And here's the neat thing. For Jesus, they're one and the same. His passion, the driving force of his life, was to go to the cross to redeem people to himself. That is his passion. So we're going to be looking at today the passion of Christ, really referring more to what is the driving priority. But as we go closer and closer to Easter, we're going to be looking at the actual cross of Christ and what he's done for us there. We're going to be looking at the, what's sometimes called the prodigal son. Uh, the prodigal son, sometimes it's called the lost son. Uh, sometimes it's called the parable of the two sons. It's all different names for this parable. Actually, I think the best name is the parable of the forgiving father. <laughs> because I think the real focus of this isn't so much on the sons as it is on the father who represents God. It's one of my favorite passages. I used to always I'd tell my kids this, uh, the parable of the prodigal son uh, at night. I'd say it often. So I would say, I'm going to tell a Bible story tonight, you guys. This is when they were younger. And I would say, uh, there was a man who had two sons. And they'd say, oh, dad, same parable again. You've heard this a million times. But actually, I preached on this on multiple occasions as well. And it's one I think I hope we go back to again and again. Because it shows us the heart of God. That God is passionate about welcoming sinners. He's passionate about welcoming sinners. And as we're going to see here, all types of sinners. All types of sinners. Not just those who have gone to a far country, but also those who are out in the field and their self-righteousness and religion. All types of sinners are welcomed. Look with me at chapter 15, verses 11, going to the end of the chapter. We read this. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father... Give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took it a journey into a far country. And there squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. God is passionate about welcoming sinners to grace. There's an outline in your bulletin if that's helpful for you. But first, we're going to look at verses 11 to 20, verse A, uh, 20A. Uh, God welcomes prodigals, prodigals to grace, the younger son. Uh, verses 20B and uh, 24, he knows, hear, hear and know the father's heart. And then we're going to look at God welcomes older brothers to grace as well, 25 to 32. So you can follow on in your scriptures or you can sit and listen. It's up to you. We learn uh, in verse 11, there's a man who has two sons in this, in this uh, story. The younger says to his father, I want my property. Now you have to understand how insulting of a request that really is. You don't get your father's property in that time, and sort of in our time too, until he dies. That's when you get the property. And as the younger son, he'd be entitled to one third uh, of his father's property. So basically what he's saying to his father is saying, Dad, can we just pretend that you're dead so I can get your stuff? Because your stuff is really more important to me than you are. This is an ultimate insult. What he wants is he wants resources. He wants money. So the father, uh, as we're going to see, we're going to look a little more closely at him, is very wise and very generous and gracious, actually gives him it, gives him one third of his property at this point in time. And what does he do? He sells it, probably to a neighbor, so never to get back. It's gone now. He takes the money and he runs away with it. He goes to a far country and there he begins to live it up. He wants to live it up now. He doesn't want to wait. He wants to enjoy life fully and all the pleasures that this world has to offer right here and right now. And it doesn't take too long before he spends all of it and it's gone. What happens above and beyond that is a famine arises in this far country that he's at. So it's a double win. He's got no money because he spent all of his father's inheritance. And there's a famine, so the price of everything is going up and there's no, barely any jobs uh, available. Things are not looking good for this guy, for this younger son. What does he do? He finds the only job that he can find, which is really the bottom of the barrel. He goes out, finds a citizen of that country, and he's, his job is to feed pigs. And if you know anything about Jewish culture, you know that pigs are considered an unclean animal. He's reached such a low point in his life that he looks at the pig slop, at the pods that the pigs are eating, and says, even that looks good to me. Like what he says, then it com- he comes to himself. Interesting language. 
My brother said, I lost even myself. I thought that was an insightful comment in one of the testimonies. He comes to himself and says, if I go home and I confess, maybe dad will take me back as a worker. And he literally repents. Because repent means to turn around. That's what repent means. You know, you, did you know you can't repent sitting in your seat right now? It's impossible. <laughs> you can confess your sin to God, but you can't repent. Repent means to literally turn around. To, to, in order to repent means you have to actually begin to change your life, to leave specific sins. He repents. He turns around and heads home. We'll look at the Father's reaction in a bit. But friends, this was and is so many of us. I want to live it up in this world, Right? I want this world. I want all the pleasure this world has to offer. I'm not waiting. Give me the drugs, drunkenness, the sexual sin, greed, violence. I don't care. I want it now, and I want it right here at this point in time. You know, we listened to a couple of testimonies last week in our baptism. And I like what one, what, what Mallory said. She, she said that as she was uh, thinking about her relationship with God, she was angry with God. And she said, actually, it was more like hatred. Liga said, it was a long and lonely separation from God. Friends, in some ways, all of us have been the prodigal. All of us have been to the far country. All of us have been far from God. And now you've come home. (laughs) You've confessed your sin. You've repented. You remembered who God is. You remembered that there is a Father who loves us and would take us back. Friends, we as a church, we as individuals, we need to reach out to younger brothers. We need to reach out to prodigals. Some of you guys are parents of prodigals, right here and right now. What can you do? Be patient. Be prayerful. Be watching and waiting. Trusting that the Lord in His time and in His way may bring them back to you. And maybe there are some prodigals here. Maybe you came here on on a Sunday morning. I just want you to know it's not too late. (laughs) It's not too late. Don't wait until you're dead. (laughs) The gospel is for you. God welcomes sinners. He welcomes younger brothers. He welcomes prodigals. Friends, our church should be filled with prodigals who are reaching out to other prodigals. That should be what our church is. We're, We're people who were once far from God who have returned to him and received his grace and now are looking to reach out to other prodigals who are far from God and tell them about a father who is indeed gracious. I like the saying, we've heard it before, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about a somebody that will save anybody. (laughs) Amen? That's our job. Now let's look at the father's heart. Second part of uh, verse 20. What happens when the son returns? And many of you guys know the story, but it's worth hearing again and again. What happens as, as he returns, he's still a long way off and his father sees him, which you don't usually see somebody that's a long way off until you, unless you're doing what? Looking for him, right? You're out there looking. So I think we can assume, friends, that the father is waiting and watching for his son to return. How does the old hymn go? Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. He's out there waiting, looking for the prodigal to return home. And when he sees him, he does what no old man would do. Uh, In the first century Israel culture, old men didn't run. 
<laughs> you just didn't do it. It was considered a humiliation because in order to do that, you had to lift up your robe, show your naked legs, which was considered an embarrassment. But he doesn't care because he sees his son and he runs to his son at full speed. And what does his son do? He begins his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. Heaven is a, another term uh, to talk about God. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And notice the father doesn't even let him finish his speech. The rest of his speech was, I want to come back as a hired worker. Before we can even get to that, the father interrupts. He calls the servants. He says, get the best robe. That would be the nicest robe in the family. Maybe even the father's own robe. Uh, Put a ring on his uh, hand. That's probably the signet ring that shows the status of uh, a son in the family. Uh, Put shoes on his feet because only slaves walked around uh, barefoot in that culture. And then kill the fattened calf, the one saved only for special occasions. And we are going to have a huge celebration. That's the heart, friends, of the Father. That's the heart of of the God that we worship. This is the God we worship and this is the God we serve. Understand, He's a God of mercy. He's a God of love. He's a God of compassion and care for us. You know, we talk a lot about this. God is holy. God is just. God is mighty and all-powerful. And we never want to exclude that. So we don't want to say God is just a God of love and that just all we have is this God of love and all these other things don't matter. That's not true. But let's not exclude the fact that He is a merciful and gracious Father who wants us to return to Him. You know, God actually seeks out to save sinners. He, he, he goes out looking for them. Uh, the, the first part, we didn't actually read it today, but the part, uh, the part of this whole parable is the hundred sheep where the one gets lost and he leaves the 99 to go and search for the one lost sheep. So one commentator said that rabbis agreed that God would welcome the, patient, the penitent sinner, but it is a new idea that God is a seeking God. A God who takes the initiative. He goes out looking for the sinner to bring him to himself. He seeks and saves the lost. But how should we respond? How do you respond to a God like this? Well, first, worship a God like this. Enjoy a God like this. God is not just this nebulous, blank force in this world, right? He's not just sort of the creative spirit of this universe. That's not who he is. He is a loving father who cares for you and for me, who's gracious and forgiving, who welcomes sinners who have been away for a long time in a far country. What else? How else would we respond? Obey a father like this. Obey Him. Live a life of obedience. Not because you must. Not because you're trying to earn your salvation. Not because you're worried that if I fail to do exactly what He says, He's going to come down and smite me with a lightning bolt or something like that. But because you want to. Because He's a Father so good that you want to obey Him. You want to spend time with Him. You you want to be with Him. You want to live a life that is pleasing to Him. Right? No matter what my kids do, I'm not going to disown them. They could be the most horrendous, rebellious kids in the world, I will never disown them. But I do want them to obey me because they love me. And I do want my love for them to affect their relationship with me. And third, tell people about a God like this, friends. <laughs> He's too good to keep to yourself. 
if this is really what God is like, if this really is the heart of the Father as Jesus reveals it, this is something too good for us to keep to ourselves. We've got to make sure people know about this God. Because people have all different types of views of God. Some of them are really twisted. Some of them are really angry at God because they don't know who God really is. They don't know the heart of a Father who wants to know His people. I remember I, I, when I was in Nepal, uh, the first time uh, I, uh, for a mission trip, I preached on this parable. And I was concerned as I'm preaching through it, I had to do it through a translator, and I'm, I don't know how it's going to go. And I'm uh, thinking, what's going to get lost in translation as we go through this? And um, at the end, two young Hindu girls came forward to receive Christ as their Savior. You know why? Because this is true in any language. <laughs> God, God's love and His care for sinners and His willing to receive those who are far from Him makes sense in any part of this world. This is the heart of the Father. Let's let people know. Then we come to how God welcomes the older brother and older brothers to grace as well. 25 to 32. Story's not over. A lot of people end the story right there with the son's return, but they're missing out in this last part, which is so important because a lot of folks... Maybe some of us here foot into this last category as well. Well, they're celebrating the older son is in the field. That's his home. That's his place. He's a field guy. He likes to work. He's the one who will work hard for the father. But as he's out in the field working, he hears the music and the dancing. He hears people celebrating the grace of the son's return. And so what does he do? He calls one of the servants. He says, what in the world's going on? What's this big celebration going on? And he says, you haven't heard? Your brother's home. And your father's killed the fattened calf. He's happy because he's got him back safe and sound. And instead of saying, yes, my brother's home. Let's go see what's going on. What does he do? He's angry. He's jealous. He's upset. He refuses to go in. And actually, again, it's hard to, to really grasp in our culture uh, how insulting this is. Because now the father has to come out to him. Uh, just like he ran to his other son here. Now he has to actually leave the celebration and come out to his son and entreat him. And when he gets out there, what happens? The, the older brother begins to lecture his own father. Look, all these years I've been serving you. I put in the work. I deserve your favor and your attention and your grace. I, I've never disobeyed your command. He has a pretty high view of himself here. And notice what he says. You haven't even given me a young goat to celebrate with my friends. What's missing from that equation? The father. He wants to have his own celebration. You see, he's jealous that the, son, the other brother got to have his own celebration in a far country. He wants to have his own celebration with his friends, but there's no sense in which he wants the father to celebrate with them. He, he wants it for himself. This brother comes home after spending all the property with prostitutes. Of course, he doesn't actually know that. <laughs> Nowhere does it say that he's been informed of what his brother did. Maybe he's only just projecting on his brother what he secretly wants. And yet when he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. But what amazes me is the father's response to the older brother. It's just as gracious. It's just as welcoming. It's just as inviting as it was to the younger brother. He says to him, son. Actually, the, the Greek word there is child. He's a grown man, but he's saying, my child, my son. You're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. As long as you are my son and we're in relationship, everything I have is yours. But it's time for us to celebrate and be glad because your brother was dead 
and he's alive and he's lost and now he's found and notice he ends it right there doesn't tell you what happens next leaves it to you actually leaves it to the Pharisees who are listening to this what is your next move or to any of us who are hearing this who fit in the category of the older brother what is your next move he doesn't end the story because the story is going to be ended by you and I and what we decide to do with the story from this point forward. You see, friends, I think there are a lot of older brothers. There are a lot of older brothers, maybe even here right now. They're not in some far country in open depravity, right? Maybe you're someone never done drugs. I've never had an issue with that. I've never, never had a, been a huge drinker. Uh, it's, not, it's not my issue at all. But you know what your issue might be? Is your own self-righteousness. That you think you're close because you have religion. You don't have Jesus, you have religion. You know, you have all the ceremonies, you'd be going to church for a long period of time, but you don't know Jesus, you wouldn't know him if he walked up to you and bit you on the nose, right? You have no relationship with him at all. You know what the Father's response to you is? Come in and celebrate grace just the same. You know what happens oftentimes, friends, is younger brothers, over time, can slowly become older brothers. (laughs) The longer you're a Christian, the more the temptation is to say, well, now I've put in my time, and now I've sort of earned this grace, and now I sort of deserve it. Other people may not deserve it. I've deserved it. I've put in the time and the effort. This is my church. It's not just for anybody. It's for those like me, who dress like me, who act like me, who look like me. Beware, friends, of the temptation of the older brother. The jealousy that he has. Let's, let's make sure, friends, that our church here is a place to celebrate grace, like we've been doing this morning. Celebrate grace. That all sinners are welcome here. Right? This is a hospital for sinners. This is, this is anyone who is, is, is well, who's a sinner is welcome here. And that's all of us, friends. No matter what your sin, no matter what your background, no matter what your struggle, you're welcome here. Is, it, is this the kind of place that you're, you'd be willing to invite any friend, no matter what their situation and what their background, to say, come and learn about Jesus. Come and learn about grace. And notice, friends, it's a celebration. I love that. It's a party that's going on here. You know, our, our gathering should be a celebration. Now, this should never be a gloomy place. This should be a place where we are filled with joy, filled with a sense of celebration, of party. God has saved us God loves us and he's shown us grace. This is a place of celebration. And it's a place, friends, where we welcome older brothers to. Come and celebrate grace. I love the fact that in our church we have people who have been a Christian for 50-something years or more. And yet you still rejoice when you hear about somebody new coming to faith in Christ. You're still saying, I'm not the older brother who wants to stay in the field. Get me back in the party so I can celebrate this new believer. Is it just the same? As everyone else. God is passionate about welcoming sinners, friends. It's the Father's heart. Younger brothers are welcome. Prodigals. And older brothers too. Friends, do you want to see First Baptist come alive like never before? Let's do this. Let's celebrate grace. Let's welcome sinners. Let's introduce people to the Father whose heart is for his people. I think it's already started, but let's keep going. Let this be a place for seasoned saints who have walked with the Lord for many years and still celebrate grace. Let this be a place for newbies 
who need milk, who are just starting to learn about the word and just starting to grow in their faith. Let this be a place where there are seekers who are just interested in the Lord, haven't met him yet, but want to know more, who have ears to hear, like some of our brothers were saying, when they started at Teen Challenge, they didn't, they didn't believe yet. They're just starting to learn, open to hear. And friends, if it has to be, let's be a place where some people get dragged to church. <laughs> I don't care. As long as they're coming to hear about the gospel. That we, together, friends, might celebrate the grace of God. As I said about that hymn, softly and tenderly Jesus is calling. He's calling for you and for me. See on the portals he's waiting and watching. He's watching for you and for me. Why should we tarry? Tarry means to wait. Why should we tarry when Jesus is pleading? He's pleading for you and for me. Why should we linger and heed not his mercies? Mercies for you and for me. Time is now fleeting. The moments are passing. Passing from you and from me. Shadows are gathering. Deathbeds are coming. They're coming for you and for me. Come home. Come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. He's calling, O sinner. Come home. Let's pray. Amen, Lord. We praise you, Lord, for your grace. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for what you reveal to us in this parable, the heart of the Father for sinners. Father, I don't know how this hits people here, there's people from all different backgrounds, for some here who have perhaps are right now far from you, or maybe were recently far from you and are struggling with this idea of grace and forgiveness. Help them to see you, Lord, and the Father in this parable. That you're a God who doesn't just sit there with his arms crossed, ready to rebuke and discipline, but who is literally running to meet his son in the field and welcome him home. Thank you, Father, for your grace to each of us. Help us to remember where we were, that we were far from you, Lord, whether we were far from you in the far country or far from you in the field in our own self-righteousness. But we were far until you came to welcome us to yourself. Thank you, Father. Perhaps there is some older brother in many of us here today as well. I know there's some in me that wants to earn our salvation and wants to look down on those who have put, haven't put in the time and in the energy and the effort that I have and haven't been lived the life that we've lived. And instead, Father, give us a heart that celebrates grace enjoys the Father's love, which we know, Lord, we will celebrate not only in this life as we gather as your people, but for all eternity as you carry us, Lord, into eternal life. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.